Strange Stories UK here again for Series 3, Episode 14. This one is Murder at Lee Park Haven't, The Senseless Death of Louise Smith. While I'm writing this podcast as the jury tries to reach a verdict where a male has been charged with the murder of his niece. In my mind, there is little doubt, but you can't tell with juries. I did a recent podcast about a policeman killing his long-term lover. I thought that was a definite murder, but the jury decided it was manslaughter. Check out my recent podcast on the Dorset Bremner Parry killing. Well, this is a horrifying case, the Lee Park Haven't murder, a case of domestic violence during COVID-19 lockdown, where a dysfunctional married couple and a fragile 16-year-old girl suffering anxiety are all living in a one-bedroom flat in Haven't. Haven't lies northwest of Portsmouth in Hampshire, near the coast. Lee Park is a huge council estate built at Haven't after World War II when Portsmouth was badly damaged by bombing. The first residents moved in during 1949. The first shopping centre was opened in 1952. It must have been a pleasant place to live when first constructed. Plenty of green spaces, and the coast and the countryside nearby. Much of the housing was built in the 1960s when Lee Park became the largest council estate in Europe although many of the houses there are now privately owned since the right-to-buy legislation was passed. Today, Lee Park is run down and has a poor reputation in comparison to the nearby areas. It's quite green and leafy, and although not a particularly bad place to live, it sometimes makes lists such as the worst place to live in Britain, which it clearly isn't. But Lee Park and nearby Poolsgrove estates which are next door to each other, uh, just north of Portsmouth, are generally considered places to avoid. The area made national news in 2000 with the the Fiedepile riots when a mob went on a rampage for seven days attacking anyone they thought might have been a paedophile or that they didn't like. Amongst the mob were young children who said they went along for a bit of a laugh. Portsmouth Council had to rehouse a number of people as a result of the riots. A house of adults with learning disabilities was attacked near Sharps Cops Primary School in Lee Park as the mob thought that they were paedophiles. At the present time, there is some low-level misbehaviour on the estate, normally during the evenings. There are the usual problems with teenagers drinking and drugging, getting out of control and trying to make a name for themselves within their peer groups hanging around outside shops in the fast food takeaways. Louise Violet Smith was a trainee veterinary nurse at Havenden South Downs College. She vanished at 12.50pm on the 8th of May 2020, which was the 75th VE Day, Victory in Europe Day. The country was on COVID-19 lockdown at the time. Louise was last seen on Somboom Drive, Lee Park, at around midday. She was reported missing by her aunt, Shazlin Jane Mays, at 6.30pm. At the time of her disappearance, Louise was wearing black jeans, a black and white striped t-shirt, black trainers and a black coat with a fake fur hood.
Louise was living with her aunt Shazlin Mays, known as CJ, and her husband Shane Mays at Ringwood House, Sombourn Drive in Lee Park, before she went missing. Louise had been living with a couple in their one-bedroom flat after quarrelling in April with her mother, Rebecca Cooper, who lived nearby. They argued because Louise wanted to spend more time with her boyfriend. Louise had clashed with her mother in the past, although they were close. Louise's father had moved away from the area after spitting with her mother, but a loving relationship with Louise was said to continue. However, Louise could be a rebellious teenager who fell out with those closest to her. When Louise went missing, the, the Mays put up a missing persons poster in their flat window. Louise had previously lived with CJ and Shane Mays when they were living in Montague Road, North End, when she was in her early teens. Texts between Louise and CJ in April 2020 showed that she wanted to call the couple mum and dad, as it was clear that she was a vulnerable and wanted somewhere to live where she felt secure. Cassie Rawlingson, a sister to Shane Mays, claimed that social services had placed Louise with the Mays. This is difficult to believe, as the flat only had one bedroom, unless, of course, the Mays had a longer-term plan to get the council to rehouse them into a bigger flat by having Louise as a dependent staying with them. CJ and Shane Mays were arrested on the 14th of May 2020 on suspicion of the kidnap of Louise. They were arrested on the grounds of being the last people to see Louise and their accounts of what happened being inconsistent. Body cam footage showed CJ crying as she was cautioned, saying, I've never been arrested before. Shazlin and Shane Mays were both large, overweight 29-year-olds unemployed, with poor quality tattoos adorning their bodies. Shane Rawlinson had left Park Community School at the age of 15 in 2005. It was a school where half the children who attended at that time had educational special needs. Shane claimed that he'd worked as a mechanic in a factory and had worked laying asphalt, but he had not worked for over five years since he was 24 years of age. He spent his days playing video games such as Call of Duty, Need for Speed and Fortnite for up to nine hours a day. Shazlin gave her husband an allowance of £50 every two weeks from their benefit payouts. They received Employment and Support Allowance, ESA, which is paid out to those who have a disability or a health condition that affects how much they can work. Shane Mays was entitled to about £75 a week plus his housing costs being paid. May said that he used drugs when he had the chance since he was a teenager. Shane had married Shazlin in 2014. Shane said that Shazlin got him off his dependency on drugs, such as ecstasy, cocaine and cannabis, and other legal highs, when they got married. Shazlin didn't like the name Rawlinson, so they took her name, Mays. Shane had always lived in the area, had five sisters, who all lived in the Havant area. The Rawlinson family was said to be close and hard-working. Louise was said to be vulnerable. She suffered from anxiety and took antidepressants. Her friends said that she was easily led and impressionable. 
Louise had a social worker and self-harmed. Living as a guest in a one-bedroom flat with a couple such as CJ and Shane Mays would not have been a good option for Louise, who could be difficult and push boundaries, although she was well-liked by her friends. Louise had moved in with another aunt before moving in with her aunt Shazlin and Shane Mays. When she moved in with the Mays, she was happy at first. The arrangement of Louise living with the Mays in their one-bedroom flat soon became unhappy after Shazlin imposed a curfew on Louise after she started bringing her boyfriend back late and being stoned and smoking cannabis at the flat. There were also arguments about doing chores around the house. Louise sent a message to a friend of hers, saying that she could not stay there anymore, saying it was a long story, but they're just vile. A friend of Louise's mother called Samantha Burt had looked after Louise in the past. She told how unhappy Louise was staying at the flat at Ringwood House with the maze. Shane and CJ were very controlling and treated her as a child, not allowing her out and confiscating her phone a pink sunny Xperia which was a lifeline to her. Samantha Burt said that they, she spoke to Louise on the phone. Louise was crying. I tried to calm her down saying you can come to me, you know where I am. Another friend of Louise's called Chloe said she hated being there at May's, uh, Shane and CJ's flat. She said she was treated like a child. She wasn't allowed out. She wasn't allowed to use her phone. Louise reacted to to the situation by being rebellious. On the day before she disappeared, Louise had argued with Shazlin and Shane Mays, but returned to the flat after appearing to have made up with them. On the evening of the 7th of May, she got drunk and contacted an online mental health helpline where she said that she'd been suffering from anxiety and depression, and although she seems to make it through the day somehow, she's finding it difficult to cope. She also said that she could not wait for lockdown to be over so she could get some help for her mental health. Louise also told her boyfriend that Shane Mays had been flirting with her. There were allegations of invading personal space and inappropriate touching. Louise had told one of her best friends that she was desperate to see them and she had something to tell them but she could not say what it was online. The friend said that Louise was sounding very anxious and wanted to move out of her aunt's house and asked if she could stay with her but her mother had refused because of lockdown. The friend said that Louise was desperate. After Louise was reported missing... Detective Constable Peter Bambury from Hampshire Police visited Shazlin and Shane Mays. They told him that Louise had been in good spirits on the day she went missing. DC Bambury noticed that CJ, the aunt, was dominant in conversation and Shane Mays hardly said a word, although he did tell the policeman that if Louise returned, he would lock her in the flat. DC Bambury found it a very strange thing to say. The police said that it seemed that Shane Mays was very much under the thumb of CJ Mays and she was in control of their relationship. On Thursday the 21st of May 2020, a body was found in Haven Thicket, woodland close to Lee Park. The police reported that the death was suspicious 
but ask the public to avoid speculation and give any information they may have to the police first. The police were requesting any dash cam footage or any GoPro footage of recordings of VA celebrations from the 8th of May, thus indicating that it was the body of Louise Smith that had been found, as it was the 8th of May when she was reported missing. It was confirmed the next day that Louise Smith had been found dead. The police went to the Mays flat at Ringwood House, where Louise had been staying. They covered the windows of the property and carried out a search at the property. The police removed a number of items from the flat. The police had arrested CJ and Shane Mays and taken them in for questioning in connection with Louise's disappearance on the 13th of May. They'd been released on bail. But they were now re-arrested. Shane Mays being arrested on the 27th of May at the Holiday Inn on suspicion of the murder and CJ Mays on suspicion of assisting an offender. CJ Mays broke down in tears when she heard the reasons for her arrest. They were not at their address in Lee Park, presumably having been forced to move out of the flat whilst the police sealed it off. The police continued investigations into when Louise's death. They carried out a fingertip search in the area where the body was found in Haven't Thicket, which was cordoned off. The police were carrying out house-to-house inquiries in the Lee Park area. 300 officers were involved in the search for Louise. Police drones and dogs were involved, along with those from Hampshire's search and rescue. A total of six square kilometres were searched in the week before her body was found. The police thought it strange that neither CJ or Shane Mays showed the normal level of anxiety normally associated with families when someone goes missing. CJ Mays informed police that Shane Mays left the flat at the same time as Louise on May the 8th, but said her partner was heading to Tesco while Louise was heading to Emsworth. Shane Mays was interviewed several times by the police. He said he had left the flat at Ringwood House at around midday on the 8th of May with Louise. They walked together to the local Tesco store, where Shane Mays went to buy some drinks while Louise carried on. Shane May said he returned to his flat at about 12.30, then went to his mother's house to pick up a DVD player. Then Mays changed his story and said that he walked Louise to a skate park at Emsworth, at Cold Harbour Farm Road, a walk of about three miles on the afternoon of the 8th of May. This was also a lie. When asked later why he said that he had been to Emsworth, Louise, Mays said, I convinced myself it was true. I didn't know where she was. Police told Mays that he was the last person that saw Louise before she went missing. But Mays denied knowing where she was and claimed that he thought she was most likely at a friend's house. Well, she could be anywhere. She was going to a skate park to meet a friend. Mays said that he didn't know where she was, otherwise he would have told them. Saying, I would love to know where she is. I just don't know. Everywhere I have looked, there's no sign of her. But I've not taken Louise, and I've had nothing to do with her going missing. During conversations with the police, Shane Mays was telling the police some odd stories about how he claimed that Louise had told him that she was sent a text by her mother saying that she was going to be kidnapped in a white van. Mays was telling the police that Louise causes lots of trouble, makes up lots of stories. 
Mays admitted that he had not actually seen the text saying that she was going to be kidnapped. Mays then started making accusations about Louise's boyfriend, saying what a dark character he was. Mays then started saying it was normal for Louise to go missing and push boundaries. She had a history of self-harming. He thought that it was possible that she might do something to herself. Mays also told the police that after Louise was reported missing, he went searching for her at Park Parade, a road with shops and takeaway food outlets and cash converters and an amusement arcade where teenagers usually hang around. Meanwhile, her boyfriend, Bradley Kircher, was looking for her at nearby Emsworth, a village near the sea. Shane claimed that he looked again for Louise at West Lee later that same evening that she was reported missing. In his third interview with the police, who were again asking Mays to clarify his actual movements, the police explained that they had searched CCTV and not found Mays where he said he had been. He was not seen at the Tesco shops at the time he said he was there with Louise, or any of the routes he claimed to have travelled on the 8th of May, and afterwards when looking for her. CCTV footage on the evening of the 8th of May shows Mays walking along south along Somburm Drive from his flat at Ringwood House. He's seen returning along the road at 9.35pm. Mays had changed his clothing at least twice that day. May's sister, Tia Rawlingson, said that she saw him at the mother's house on the afternoon of the May the 8th, after Louise had disappeared. She told play, uh, police that Shane looked quite sweaty, but he was his normal self. During the interview, May's advisor handed a statement to the police, which said, I've not caused Louise any harm or committed any crime in relation to her in any way. Then he refused to speak further. Shane Mays had to have a responsible adult with him whilst he was being interviewed by the police, as he could not read or write. The police then found some CCTV of Shane Mays. He was seen on CCTV in Swanmore Drive, leaving Haven Thicket, before he walked to his mother's home that was close by in Stratfield Gardens on the night that Louise had gone missing. It was later suggested that Shane Mays had gone to the spot where he had killed Louise to try to destroy her body by burning it. The police were satisfied that Mays was responsible for the death of Louise Smith and he was remanded in custody. While he was on remand during June 2020, Shane Mays claimed that he suddenly remembered that he had attacked Louise and he may have been responsible for her death but he was sure that he hadn't meant to kill her. This was after the Crown Prosecution Service had said that he was going to go to trial for murder and when the police were not going to question him any further. The Crown Prosecution Service determined on July the 3rd that Shazlin Mays should face no further action. Haven't remembered Louise for the funeral during July 2020. Purple tributes were put out on lampposts and people lined the streets during her final journey. 400 motorcycles did a drive past in remembrance, and public buildings in Portsmouth were lit with purple lights. On the 16th of November 2020, Shane Mays pleaded guilty to the manslaughter of Louise Smith, denying murder. The police insisted that it was murder, 
so a trial went ahead to be heard at Winchester Crown Court. The judge was Mrs Justice May. Shane Mays had an intermediary with him when he was in the dock during the court case to help him understand proceedings as he suffered from learning difficulties. It was a Corvid trial with breaks in proceedings while the court was clean between sessions. At the trial at Winchester, we learn about the death of Louise Smith. Often when a defendant pleads guilty, the whole story is often not told, but we were to learn of the details of how Louise had died. The death of Louise, a delicate, anxious 16-year-old girl, is difficult to hear. Louise's body was found at 11.45am on May the 21st. The prosecution barrister, Mr Newton Price, said that Shane Mays had walked with Louise Smith to a clearing in the woodland at Haven't Thicket, where her body was subject to extreme violence and violation. Shane Mays, a heavy six-foot male, smashed Louise, a slight five-foot figure, to death. Her central face skeleton was shattered by repeated blows from a heavy object, possibly a large branch. There were heavy blows to her head. Her jawbone was completely detached from her skull. Mr Newton Price said there were grounds to believe that part of the motivation for her murder was sexual. Louise was found with her legs spread apart with a long stick shoved 35 centimetres inside her body. Mr Newton Price said that this was done whilst Louise was still alive and one hopes that this was not the case. This would have torn the vagina, part of the bowel, the liver and the diaphragm causing severe bleeding and overwhelming pain. The defence argued that Mays may have got his DNA on the stick after Louise had picked up the stick and hit him with it. Then Mays took it off her. Mays was claiming that he did not defile her body after he killed her. Newton Price continued that the pathologist Dr Basil Perdue was unable to determine which of her injuries caused her death because Mays had burnt the body. What can be concluded is that Louise Smith suffered a violent death and her body had been burnt in an attempt to destroy it. Mays had thrown away her phone and phone case, which was later found by police about 200 metres away along a track out of the woodlands. Fingerprints found on the phone matched those of Shane Mays. When Mays was questioned by the police, he knew that he'd killed Louise and he knew where the body was, but he did not want to admit it and so he told a series of lies which were intended to deflect blame. Mr Newton Price thought the Mays had returned to the scene of the crime in order to burn the body. James Newton Price, the prosecutor, told the court that DNA found on the stick was 38 million times more likely to have come from Mays than someone else. He added that Louise's blood was also found on Mays' trainers. Newton Price concluded that he thought it was reasonable to conclude that the person who burnt and defiled the body and shoved the stick inside her was Shane Mays, who was already admitted to killing her by admitting manslaughter. Newton Price said that Shane Mays had lured her or persuaded her to a remote location where he attacked her with breathtaking brutality. 
There was evidence that Louise was unhappy in the care of Shane Mays, who was clearly a thug bully, and Louise had resorted to drinking heavily the night before she disappeared, probably as a coping mechanism, but also because Shane Mays had been encouraging her to get drunk. Mays admitted to manslaughter, saying that he had an argument with Louise which resulted in him losing his temper and losing control. He repeatedly punched her and now accepts that his death would have caused or contributed to her death. But Mays insists that he did not intend to kill her or cause a really serious injury and he insists that he did not put the stick inside her and he did not set fire to her. So, to accept Shane May's account, the jury are asked to believe that after telling so many lies, Mays eventually admits to walking with Louise to Haven't Thicket and having an argument with her and subsequently attacking her. But he's asking us to believe that he did not violate her body. That must have been someone else that chanced upon her. I've been to Haven't Thicket once on a bird breeding survey for Hampshire Orthonological Society. I can only imagine that nature lovers and dog walkers would use that area. Mays tells different stories to different people. He told the police that Louise had asked him to walk with her to collect some clothes, and as they walked towards Haven't Thicket. The truth was that Mays and Louise had not walked anywhere near any skate parks, as he originally said. They'd walked up Middle Park Way at Lee Park before heading up the B2419 road towards Rowland Castle. Then they headed into Haven't Thicket, past the pond that was there. According to Mays, they'd talked about decorating her bedroom when they moved out of Ringwood House, and they talked about her breaking up with her boyfriend. While there, there was supposedly an argument about her smoking cannabis. Mays claimed that Louise picked up a big stick and hit him with it. He said that he grabbed the branch from her, threw it on the floor, and punched her. After the first punch, she was still standing, but at the second she went down. He heard a crack when she was on the ground, but he continued to punch her as he was so angry. He said he lost control of himself. Louise's boyfriend then gave evidence, telling how Louise had a difficult relationship with her mother. The boyfriend... Bradley Kircher had sent a message to the mother, Rebecca Cooper, saying, She's broken and feels you don't care. Bradley received a text from Louise saying that Shane Mays spoke very badly towards her. After Louise went missing, Mays told Bradley that Louise was taking the piss after she'd asked him for £30 and he'd walked with her to Emsworth Skate Park. Both were probably untrue. Bradley said that Louise didn't know anyone in Emsworth and doubt she ever went there. Bradley said that Mays would flirt with her, put his arm around her, tickle her and pin her down. Bradley said that Louise was always on her phone and could always be reached, so it was very odd when her phone was suddenly turned off. The last time they were together they were happy. She was happy. During the second week, Martin Crooks, a forensic scientist, was giving evidence. He said that he examined Louise's burnt body, concluding that her body had been burnt in a bonfire-type structure. The pathologist, Basil Perdue, gave his evidence over the condition of Louise's body, which in summary, 
the body was heavily burnt and a large number of bones were fractured. Perdue said that Louise had been hit by several heavy blows, the first of which may have knocked her unconscious. Other witnesses included a childhood friend of Shane May's, Thomas Dixon. He had known Shane since they both attended Warren Park Primary School in 1997. He said that Shane did not have very many friends. Dixon said that as children they would go on camp in Haven't Thicket, near the Banger racing track and the bomb holes. While camping there they would chop wood and have campfires. Shane Mays had admitted to the police during interviews that he had only had a small circle of people that he knew. His wife, his mother and Louise when she moved in. Rather than mix socially, Mays seemed to prefer to play video games. On the third week of the trial, the jury made a site visit to Lee Park and Havent areas, including Havent Thicket in Ringwood House. The jurors were told that they must not discuss the case on the site visit. The judge added, We're effectively taking the court to the location. You must not talk at the scene. You must simply observe. There were no CCTV cameras on the route believed to have been taken when Mays walked with Louise to Haven't Thicket, although phone masks put Louise on that route on the afternoon of the 8th of May as she walked to her death. The jury were also taken to shops that were visited by Louise and Mays before she was killed, and then after she was killed when Shane Mays went to buy frozen pizzas. The video seems to show May buys four frozen pizzas. During the third week, it was announced that Shane Mays had been assessed by a psychologist and found to have an intelligence quota, IQ, of 63, which apparently puts him in the bottom 1% of the population for intelligence ability. Phone messages were then read out in court, sent by Shazlin Mays to a friend, Jasmine Green, on an earlier date in that spring, of 2020 on March the 9th. It was regarding Shane Mays coming back at 4am in the morning and Shazlin telling her friend that he has to get help with his anger management. Agreed facts were then read out in court including Mays' record for assault and theft. Then messages on Louise's phone were given to the court. Messages sent from Louise's phone on the morning of the 8th of May suggesting that she had been given permission to smoke cannabis again by Shane and C.J. Mays, and she was arranging to meet a friend who had what I needed, which was assumed to be cannabis. Instead, she went for the walk with Mays to Haven't Thicket. Mr. Newton Price asked Shane Mays, how is it that the girl that had been denied weed suddenly has been given permission to smoke it again? and then leaves the flat with you. Did you want to get Louise away from the flat? Away from Bradley and CJ? Was that your plan? Shane Mays replied, no. On Louise's phone, the search history showed that at 1.30am on May the 8th, the early hours of the day she went missing, Louise contacted a mental health helpline saying that she suffered with anxiety and depression. The phone history showed that pornography was viewed on the phone shortly afterwards. This would be when Louise was in the bedroom with Shane and CJ Mays. 
Mr. Newton Price asked Shane Mays, if your version of events is correct, you're all sitting around together in the same room. Are you able to explain why she seemed to be so drunk? Shane Mays said she wasn't. On that night, or the night before Louise went missing, that was the 7th of May, Shane Mays had bought £30 worth of alcohol from the local shops. This was from his fortnightly allowance of £50. Mr Newton Price asked Shane Mays, Why did you buy so much alcohol that night? It's my money, was the reply. After questioning, it appears that the three of them, Shane Mays, Shazlin Mays and Louise, had spent the evening having drinks in the bedroom, staying up until 3am. Shane Mays said that he was not sure whether Louise was on her phone and that she wasn't drunk, but she did seem happy. Shane Mays was asked by the prosecution if he was sexually attracted to Louise, which he denied. Shane Mays continued being cross-examined and was not putting up a very convincing case for his innocence. He struggled with questions that the prosecution put to him, such as, Do you know how Louise came to be in Haven't Thicket? Did you go there on 8th of May? Did you get angry? Are you, Shane Mays, a victim of a hugely unfortunate circumstance? Was Louise alive or dead when you last saw her? Newton Price asked Shane Mays if he got angry easily. He replied that it takes quite a bit to rile him up, but he hits out when he gets angry. Do you punch people at the point? asked Newton Price. No, replies Mays. When reminded that Mays remarked to the police who were searching for her that he would lock Louise in the flat when she returned, he said he thought that was the right thing to say when someone tries to run away. But she was dead at that time, wasn't she? Mr Newton Price asked. Mays replied, well, I'm not sure. Mays repeated the story he told the police, that being Louise had asked him to walk with her to collect some clothes had led him to Haven't Thicket, where she supposedly attacked him with a stick after an argument about smoking cannabis. Louise said she wanted to smoke cannabis. Mays told her that she would end up like her mum. Then Mays claimed that Louise picked up a big stick and hit him with it. He said that he grabbed the branch from her, threw it on the floor and punched her. After the first punch, she was still standing, but at the second, she went down. He heard a crack... When she was on the ground, he continued to punch her. He was so angry, he just lost control of himself. James Newton Price said, You heard her bones crack. You saw she was bleeding. She fell to the floor and you carried on punching her on the floor. So many times that you can't remember how many. Did you leave her dying? Mays replied, well, I'm not sure. Mr Newton Price asked about the evening of the 8th of May when May's wife, Shazlin, reported Louise as missing to the police. Mays claimed that he went looking for Louise as he told people he'd walked her to Emsworth Skate Park. He did not return until 2am. Mr Newton Price said, You weren't searching for Louise as you knew where she was. You went back to pour petrol on the body and burn it beyond recognition. Mays denied this, saying Louise lured him to the clearing so he could they could talk alone. He said that he retaliated when she hit him with a stick during the argument about her drug use. I grabbed the stick, threw her on the floor, and I punched her, he told the court. I was angry, lost control of myself. Mays said he could not remember how many times he punched his niece in the face when she lay on the ground. 
I began to walk away. I looked back and I heard her moaning. I just carried on walking, he said. May said he forgot about what he'd done until later when he was on remand. He denied sexually assaulting Louise or burning her body and told jurors, I did not kill her. Shane Mays claimed that he had no memory of what happened after his attack on Louise. He had forgotten everything, everything that happened. Mays claimed that he had a problem remembering things. After repeatedly punching Louise in the face, Mays left her in a clearing, saying that he was not in his right mind. Mr Newton Price asked if Mays accepted what he had done caused Louise's death. Mays replied, we might have done but he said that if he did, he hadn't meant to do it, insisting that she was still alive when, she walked, when he walked away from her, as he could hear her moaning. Mays said that he had a stroke at the age of 18, which he believes had caused his poor memory. This is not true. He had an attack of Bell's palsy, which is nerve damage to the face, not a stroke which is life-threatening. The defence seemed to be inventing medical conditions to excuse May's behaviour. Bell's palsy has caused a temporary paralysis to his left side of his face in August 2010. This in no way would affect his memory. May's continued to give some truly pathetic reasons why he did not like Louise or her boyfriend. Regarding Louise's friends, he said they were secretive and would lie for her. And as I said, he thought Brad... Bradley, the boyfriend, was a dark character. Mr Newton Price accused Mays of constantly lying to the police, claiming that Louise walked down Billy Lawn Way away from him, but later saying that he walked with her to Emsworth Skate Park, which is the story that he told his mother, his wife and Louise's boyfriend. Mays replied saying that he lied because he didn't want to get into trouble, as everybody points the finger at him. It was some time later that the story changed again. Mays claimed that while in re- prison on remand at uh, Her Majesty's Prison, Bristol, he came to remember everything. That's when he remembered punching Louise. Shane Mays claimed that he always told the truth, and when he was searching for Louise, after she went missing, he'd forgotten that he had murdered her. He claimed that it was blank from his mind, and when he was searching for her at Waterlooville, Rowlands Castle, Langston Harbour and Lee Park, He claimed he was genuinely searching. The prosecution had a different take, saying that Shane Mays had been trying to silence Louise after sexually assaulting her. The prosecution suggested that Mays had tried to touch Louise sexually at Haven't Thicket, and she had fought back. Mays silenced her so she would not tell anyone what he had attempted to do. Mays replied rather pathetically, that she was still alive after she'd lost, after he'd lost his temper and lost control of himself, although he repeatedly said no if asked if he tried to touch her sexually, to silence her or to attack her as he feared she was pregnant. May said he was still angry after leaving Haven't Thicket, but had instantly forgotten what happened. He claimed he had no memory as he made his way to his mother's house in Stratfield Gardens, thinking that he had been to Emsworth Skate Park. He only remembered when his memory came back in June 2020. The trial began its fourth week with the prosecution and defence giving their closing speeches after some agreed facts were announced to the jury. 
Greed Facts. Shane, Faye, uh, Shane May suffered no psychological or psycho, uh, psychiatric trauma, such as PTSD, after repeatedly punching Louise Smith. To me, this suggests that he had no empathy and was psychopathic. The jury are again reminded that Shane May's intellectual ability, IQ, was extremely low, suggested that he did not know what he was doing. Would this fact that Shane May's intelligence was so low that he was unaware that he was committing murder? The judge, Justice Juliet May, said that all the usual things that she was supposed to say, such as, please put aside any emotional responses which you may have, your job now is to judge this case dispassionately and fairly on the evidence. Quite a big ask in this case. Also the usual, it's for the prosecution to prove the case against Shane Mays. He doesn't have to prove anything. If you are sure that Shane Mays assaulted Louise Smith with the intention of killing her or causing her really serious injury, then you will find him guilty of murder. If not, you will find him not guilty. For the prosecution, Mr Newton Price started his closing speech. He said Louise was fragile and impressionable and persuaded by Shane Mays to leave the flat to go with him to the secluded clearing at Haven't Thicket, the woodland about a mile away from the flat. Rather strange thing for a teenage girl to want to do. Newton Price said that despite Mays' pleas to manslaughter, even now he cannot admit that he killed her. He cannot face up to the fact what he's done. His thuggish attack went beyond manslaughter. He smashed her face to pieces. Her jaw was detached from her skull. It was a clear and compelling place, case of murder. The prosecution went on to show how controlling Shane Mays was, giving her permission to smoke cannabis when there was no one else about. Mays fantasised about having sex with her. He was accused of flirting with her, and 24 hours after this conversation with Louise about her boyfriend, he killed her. The prosecution argued that being in a rage and being of low IQ does not excuse the crime of murder. Mr Newton Price reminded the jury of Shane May spending over a week of uh, his allowance on alcohol the night before Louise was killed. He suggested that Mays was trying to get a 16-year-old girl drunk in order to shed her inhibitions. Louise woke up the next morning texting her friends about the worst hangover ever. Then she told a friend on Snapchat she was not being she was now being allowed to smoke weed. This was shortly after before leaving the flat and being killed by Shane Mays. The prosecution do not have to prove any motive for any crime, but the background of the flirting and the circumstances leading to a teenage girl into a secluded remote area, far from anywhere, where no one can hear, suggests that it does that he did have a sexual interest. Mr Newton Price reminded the jury that Mays did not remember punching Louise until June 2020, after he was charged with the murder and when the police were unable to question him further. His evidence in court was based on false memories and post-traumatic stress disorder, although there was no medical evidence of this. Mays had made up different stories claiming that he believed both of them to be true due to his mental disabilities. Newton Price said this should be called what it really is, which is lying to the police. Shane Mays was not suffering from memory loss after smashing Louise to death. He was lying to the police in order in an attempt to cover up his murder. 
Then Mr. Newton Price asked how likely it was that someone would come across Louise's dead body and decide to defile it and burn it. Remember, it took over 300 people in a six-day search with drones and dogs to find her. Andrew Langdon, the defence barrister, then had to make his closing speech. It did not impress. He suggested that the drunken night before Louise's death was not an attempt to get her drunk, but to celebrate that the Mays and Louise had made up their disagreement. Langdon suggested that Mays did not lure Louise to Haven't Thicket. She initiated it, as she wanted to talk to him about her problems, about how she wanted to decorate her room and what her plans with her boyfriends were. Langdon said that Mays was a follower and followed Louise to Haven't Thicket but he did not give any reasons why he thought that she wanted to go there. Then Langdon tried to flag up an identified shirtless man allegedly seen in Haven't Thicket when Louise disappeared. A witness called Michael Love claimed to have seen such a person. Could this unidentified person, only seen by one person and not tracked down by the police, be the person that came across Louise's body and did dreadful things to it? seems unlikely. The defence closing speech was very weak, although Mr Langdon did not have much to work with. On Tuesday the 8th of December, the judge gave her summing up how Louise went missing and the usual behaviour, the unusual behaviour, that she was uncontactable by phone. The judge went through the injuries to Louise, the DNA evidence, the fact that Mays had lost control and gave Mays account of what he claimed happened how he, a six-foot-large male, was attacked by a slight five-foot-year-old, a five-foot teenager, and how he lost his temper and kept punching her while she was on the ground. We only have May's account of how Louise was killed. He said that it was her idea to go to the woodland at Haven't Thicket. The judge then told the jury that he wanted a unanimous verdict. The judge didn't have to wait very long. They found Shane Mays guilty of murder to shouts of yes from the public gallery. It only took three hours, and this included their hour they had off for lunch. Shane Mays was said to show no emotion. I'll be posting this podcast before Shane Mays is sentenced, but given the nature of his crime, I would guess that the guideline would insist that he serves 30 years as a minimum sentence, meaning that Shane Mays will be 60 years of age before... He's available for release. Louise's family gave tributes to her, saying that she was a smiley, generous, typical 16-year-old who was trained to be a veterinary nurse. Louise enjoyed spending time with her friends. She loved animals and being outdoors. She'll be remembered as a smiley, generous person who loved her family and was loved by all. Louise's father saying, We all find it impossible to accept that we'll never hear her voice or see her cheeky smile again. Louise's mother said no words can describe the loss we feel on a daily basis. She was our sunshine and is truly missed by all that know her. The pain inside is unbelievable, just knowing that we will never see her again. It was Louise's misfortune that she had to stay in lockdown with Shane Mays while she was going through a difficult time in her life. Several local families at Lee Park will have their lives altered forever now by the actions of a controlling psychopathic male who never seemed to achieve anything positive in his life. I've just checked the internet 
and it seems that the sentence was that Shane Mays will serve at least 25 years for his crime. So, ends today's podcast. I'd like to thank Damselfly for providing the background music. I'd like to thank you all for listening or downloading the program. Um, I won't be posting again until uh, Christmas Eve when I shall post my ghost story for Christmas. And until then, I wish you all a, a very happy Christmas. And until next time, goodbye.